Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. podcast from the canon an SB Nation blog about your Columbus Blue Jackets I'm your host PD and I'm here alone tonight watching the Jackets play Toronto on Monday night I asked for some mailbag questions I'll cover those in the second half of the episode but first I wanted to talk about the uh, eventful emotional exciting weekend of Blue Jackets hockey they had two extra time losses at home to Los Angeles and Boston. It's hard because either of those could have easily been a win, but at the same time going into that, knowing that it's a back-to-back, if you said, oh, you'll get two points out of those two games against, you know, good teams, playoff teams. Sure. Sure. I I guess I would take that. Um, Saturday, of course, was the Rick Nash Jersey retirement ceremony. Uh, I was there in the crowd. It was a record, the biggest crowd at Nationwide Arena for Blue Jackets game. Uh, it definitely had that kind of playoff atmosphere feel to it. The ceremony was fantastic. Uh, it was really well done by the Jackets to put that on, to get that organized. All of the speeches were great. Um, if you went in not being sure why Rick Nash was having his number retired, that presentation would have answered your question. Uh, It was very clear that he was a great player on the ice and accomplished so much on the ice. You also got the impression that he was a great teammate, someone great to work with, a good friend, and also someone then who meant a lot to the community and served as a inspiration for a whole generation of hockey players in Columbus. Um, you know, it was, it was a celebration of Rick Nash, the person and the player, but just as much it was a celebration of Columbus hockey. And there was a lot of talk about how far Columbus has, call, has come since Rick Nash first arrived here in 2002. You know, Doug McLean could even attest to having been in Columbus, you know, right after the team was awarded, before Nationwide Arena even existed. You know, it was just a gravel lot. 
And then now he's coming back to it today, 25 years later, and look at what it's become. And that's that's pretty cool. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to react to Doug McLean's speech um, because I feel like he was not a very good general manager and that, that maybe set the team back a bit. And I wasn't sure what kind of reaction he would get. It was actually really warm. Um, I didn't boo, but I didn't cheer. I just said, okay, I'm going to you know not acknowledge that. But then he gave a really good speech. So I applauded him at the end of the speech. Um, said a lot of great things about Nash, a lot of great things about Columbus. Um, so he this, that sort of represented the beginning of, of Nash's career here. You had Ken Hitchcock then who was able to talk about how after a few years that Nash was then able to take his game to another level. He was a natural goal scorer right when he came into the league as an 18-year-old. But then under Hitchcock, he became a complete player. He could play a 200-foot game. He could kill penalties. He could be on the ice in the final minute to protect a lead. Uh, and that is that elevated Nash from just a good player to a great player. You had um, John Davidson speaking, who could attest to what Nash has become now as a member of the front office, you know, as a colleague of his, as a coworker. Um, it's also interesting having JD talk about it because he, like Nash, has had the experience of being in Columbus, leaving Columbus, and then coming back to Columbus and knowing what that's like. Uh, he came to Columbus first, actually just months after Nash had been traded. And then Nash joined the front office just a month or so after JD left to go back to New York. And now they're finally on staff again together. Uh, Aaron Johnson then represented all of the former players. He played with Nash. He was a roommate with Nash here. He now works for the Jackets as well uh, as a player services representative. Uh, and his speech was the best one of the night. Absolutely hilarious. Ripping on Nash, telling stories, telling jokes. It was it was tremendous. It was a emotional ceremony at times. Um, you know, any reference to Mr. Mac uh, got me a little bit choked up just for what a what a massive person he was and for how much it meant to him to bring hockey to Columbus and to think how how proud he must be to see what a hockey town Columbus has become. And then to know that he and Rick were very close and you'd have to think that he'd be happy to see that Nash is a family man. You know, he was there on the ice as the banner was being raised with his wife and his three kids. Um, and that was special. It's funny to think of how we've, we've seen Rick Nash grow up, you know, and he, I think I mentioned it before. Nash is exactly two weeks younger than I am. Um, so that was always a, a rude awakening to know that, Oh wow, here, here's this guy that was just drafted and he's my age and he's going to the NHL and Oh, here he's making millions of dollars. And, um, but now, you know, we're definitely fully in the adulthood, maybe entering the, the middle age phase of our lives. And just, we've come very far, uh, since 2002. So the, the ceremony itself, uh, took a long time. It's about 90 minutes. So the start of the game was delayed, and I had concerns about what we were going to see in the game because Jackets had just played the night before against L.A. It had gone to overtime. Uh, it was a very physical game. It was an emotionally draining game because it appeared that Jackets had won in overtime, 
Then it got overturned because of offsides. Then they lost it. Um, and then they had to be sitting on the ice throughout the whole ceremony. And, you know, that's time usually where there'd be, they'd be warming up or whatever. But I think the, the crowd probably helped because there was never any lack of energy in the game. They were able to, to dig down deep. And even if they were tired, they didn't show it. They were there. Boston was rested, but the jackets were playing right at their level the whole time. You know, it's another game where the Jackets had to come back from a late deficit. <laughs> and they won it in the final seconds. On, I mean, they tied it up in the final seconds on a Voracek shot. This team, you know, they're still a flawed team. They're not a great team, but they battle. And they don't give up. Uh, there's a stat they're showing tonight that they're tied for the league lead in comeback wins. 18 times this season they've come back from behind to, to win a game. Um, that's... You know, that's something this team can build on. And that's really exciting. So, you know, watching the, the, the game tonight, I'm recording in the second intermission. Uh, the first period was awful, just dreadful. And that's probably to be expected. That's finally all that energy being expended, catching up to them. It's their third game in four days, the fifth game in seven days. That's a lot of hockey. That's going to take its toll. So that's what I saw in the first period. But, man, give this team credit. Playing against a, uh, you know, superior talented team in Toronto. And they came back and they scored two goals in the second. And so now they're just down one going to the third period. Like, they're in the thick of this game. That is, that's huge. You know, and even if they're not winning these games, the fact that they're hanging in them, it says a lot. And it gives something for them to build on you know, going forward to next year. It's another tough week this week. So they got Toronto tonight. They've at the Islanders on Thursday, home against the wild on Friday. And then they host Vegas on Sunday. Uh, Now Minnesota and Vegas are in the thick of the Western conference playoff race, but the wild are on a bit of a cold stretch. Vegas is banged up. They got a lot of key guys out to injury, but they do have Jack Eichel now. Um, and he just finally got his first goal over the weekend with, with Vegas. So those games will be a good test. Um, you know, can we catch these teams on the downslope, but take advantage of that? Just prove that we're, that we're worthy, you know, of hanging with these teams. And I think we can do that. One last thing to mention about the weekend. It was also the return of Nick Foligno to Columbus. First time since he was traded last season. It was the re- reason I initially bought tickets to the game was to was to be there for Felina's comeback. I have to say, I have never seen a reaction like that for a returning player. You know, I've been to games before where we've seen the, you know, video clips and then the players, you know, standing on the bench and waves to the crowd and there's a cheer for him. There was a standing ovation for Felino. And it was so loud and lasted for a minute. Um, And he skated out to the middle of the ice and he, you know, spun around so he could wave to every part of the crowd. Uh, Man, it just reminded you of why, why we love Felino and shows you how much he's appreciated here that the fans wanted to show that to him, even though, you know, he's no longer playing for us. 
And I don't know if the TV broadcast showed this, but at the end of the game, as Boston was doing their, their own handshake line on the ice, Felino hung around on the ice. He was the last ruin off the ice. Waved at the crowd again. Got another cheer from those of us still there. And then he skated over and, and gave his stick to uh, a kid in a jacket's jersey um, on the glass. And that was really... It just showed you that's that's the kind of guy Felino is. And it was cool to see him interviewed after the game by Dave Metzl. Kind of an impromptu one in the halls there between the locker rooms. And... Um, and Felino said, he's like, this is, you know, this will always be home. And, and you can see why he feels a special connection here. And Columbus still feels this uh, special connection to Felino. So that was really cool. And I'm curious to then see if there's a similar moment with Cam Atkinson when he comes back with the Flyers next month. So stay tuned for that. Uh, before we get to the questions, uh, one th- thing I wanted to mention as well is the uh, NCAA released their bracket today for their women's hockey tournament and Ohio state got the number one seed. So congratulations to, to them. That's very well earned. Uh, if you're not doing anything on Saturday at five o'clock, head on down to campus and, and go support those girls, um, in their quarterfinal match. That's the coach there has done a tremendous job building up that program. They've produced a lot of great players. They're a great team support women's hockey because if you enjoy watching the game of hockey, there's a lot of great women's hockey content out there. Uh, I think I've talked before about watching like PHF games on ESPN plus. It's great. Uh, I cannot speak highly of it enough. You know, I, I also have to give credit. Uh, this is women's history month and last Tuesday, uh, the game against the devils was on ESPN plus and it was an all female broadcast booth with Leah Hextall doing the play-by-play and A.J. Malesko doing the color commentary. And they did a very good job. And tonight, John Buchcross has uh, Cassie Campbell-Pascal as his color commentator. You know, I appreciate that ESPN and TNT, when they were building up their roster of talent, that they brought in lots of women, and women who know the game of hockey. And they can broadcast just as well as any man. And sometimes even better than some guys that are hired just because they're a big name, but don't necessarily have the, the broadcast chops or whatever. Um, and I, and I love that, that, that broadcast team happened last week and no one made a big deal about it. Like it was just, okay, this, this is one of their broadcast teams. This is just a normal thing. Uh, and that's, that's a sign of progress. All right. When we come back, I will answer some of your questions. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. 
We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. And as I said, I reached out on Twitter, at CBJ Cannon, asked for some questions, and I got some really good ones this week. I will start with... Uh, Parker Eads, at Parker underscore E underscore. Albeit a small sample size, but given Barubi's and Tarasov's stellar play in relief of Corpy and Elvis, what is the thinking behind Corpy being brought back today off IR and moving Barubi back down to Cleveland, despite this season showing Corpy has been worse than those two guys? That is, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, the simplest explanation for why Corpy was activated is that he's healthy. <laughs> He's recovered from his injury, and you can't keep a guy on IR indefinitely, so he had to be activated. Ruby gets sent down. That's just, that's what it is. Uh, I do agree that Ruby has played better this year than, than Corpy has, and but at the same time, Corpy is very much on the trade block. I think the team would like to trade him because otherwise he just leaves as a free agent for nothing. Unfortunately, he has been so poor this year that I'm not sure what kind of market there will be for him. Um, if we can get any any sort of late-round pick for him, I would take it. Um, if I were a GM or a fan base, I would not be excited about getting Corpy for anything more than a, just being a third-string goalie. Um, he's not going to be... You're not going to pay to price for him to be a backup or compete for your starting gig or anything like that. That's just, that's not going to happen at this point. There's just been too much bad play uh, from him from the last two seasons, really, uh, versus just like one, one and a half seasons of good starting hockey in his career. So he is what he is, um, but we are two weeks away from the deadline. In those two weeks, we've got a lot of games in that time span. Uh, yeah, let's get Corpy some reps and hopefully he can play well, well enough to, to up his trade value. And then once he gets traded, then Brewery can come back and be the backup behind Elvis. Uh, as for Tarasov, he, remember he is on the IR for the rest of the season. Now he just had surgery on his hip, so he will be out until at least August. Um, which is unfortunate because he was playing really well when he got the opportunity up here this season. All right, the next question is from at and Kilch. Hey guys, love the way the team is playing, but do have some concerns in the future. During the Torts era, we won a good amount of games, but never really reached the next level. We could always make it as a 7 or 8, but never as a division winner. How can CBJ make sure that doesn't happen again when building the new core? Thanks guys, love the podcast and your work. Go Jackets. Uh, thanks for the nice comment, first of all. I really appreciate that. Uh, it's nice to know that people are listening and enjoy. Uh, that means a lot. Uh, so thanks for saying that. Your concern is a valid one. 
it's no team wants to be stuck in that middle ground where you are just good enough to make the playoffs and not get high draft picks that you would need to get elite talent, but also not good enough to go deep in the playoffs with the talent you have. So the solution there is just find ways to always get better. Never settle for the status quo when your team is just getting into the playoffs. Find ways to add that extra talent. So, and I, and I think Yarmo has shown that he is that kind of general manager. Um, you know, you couldn't blame him if you wanted to just rest on his laurels after 2017. I mean, hey, that team won, you know, they got 104 points or whatever. Really good team. But they saw in the playoffs that they didn't have enough elite scoring. So he went out and he traded Brandon Saad for Artemi Panarin. And that made the team a lot better. Then the team in 2018 was maybe not living up to expectations. They should have been higher up in the playoff race than they were. So he made changes at the deadline. Brought in Ian Cole to form a shutdown pair with Savard. Brought in Thomas Vanek to pair with Alexander Wenberg. Got that line going. That was a second line then that could match the first line for scoring. That was big. And that team... Lost in the first round, but gave it all to Washington, who ended up winning the Cup that year. And for Panarin's shot in Game 3 in overtime, if it had gone in rather than hitting the post, then the Jackets could have gone up 3 nothing, and I don't think they would have lost the series then. And then who knows, you know? And 2019, you know, the team beat Tampa, hung with Boston, if they found a way to beat Boston, they probably easily could have beaten Carolina that year. And then boom, then the Jackets are in the finals and things look a lot different. So for this group though, going forward, you know, obviously the team is going to look to improve from this year to next year. You know, one way you do that is by keeping Patrick Line and hoping that he continues to play like this. The next way is you add in some of our prospects like, Kent Johnson, Kirill Marchenko, who we talked about, that adds talent to the forward core, adds scoring depth to the core forward core, because we're already able to score a lot. And so you add some additional scores to what we already have. That's really huge. So that should make the team better next year. Plus, the de- young defense will improve defensively. Guys like Sillinger and Chinikov will have this year under their belts, so they will make improvement and that will make the team better. And then based on what we see from the team next year, it should be more obvious. All right, who are the real core pieces here? What can be upgraded? You know, people have concern about the center position. And some people want to go out and get a center now. Like, oh, we don't have a number one center. We need a number one center. Well, we might need a number one center to compete. There's no reason why we need to get that center at this moment, or even this summer. That can be the final piece that we get to take the next step. And we can get that piece later when we have draft picks that we can afford to trade away. And when we have more prospects in our pipeline that we can trade away as part of that package. Uh, If you look at a team like St. Louis... They never really bottomed out. They were a team that was always in that kind of middle range. 
and but they managed to make a trade to get Ryan O'Reilly from Buffalo. And that was the one C that they needed. But they didn't trade for him until they already had pretty much all of their other pieces in place. And then they also got lucky and got great goaltending from Jordan Bennington. That helps too. But that's how a team like that can get their one C. Or Vegas, as great as Vegas has been, they still didn't have a truly great center. And then they managed to swing a trade for Jack Eichel because that was the last piece that they needed. So look for that going forward for Yarmer to always look for what is our weakness? How can we add to it? Is it going to be just a prospect or is it going to be a player that we acquire an established NHL player that can fill that role? Final question comes from our own Eric seeds. Rank the following shows, Futurama, Simpsons, King of the Hill, Archer, Bob's Burgers. It's a great question. It's a very difficult question. A lot of amazing programs on this list. So tied for fourth, I'll put Futurama and King of the Hill. These are shows I have watched on and off. Never really watched these religiously, but have seen a number of episodes of each. They're they're fine. Uh, I recognize they're well done. Just not necessarily the thing that I enjoy the most or go back to. Just just not my thing, all right? And, and that's fine. In the tier above that, we have the, the John Benjamin shows. He voices the lead character in both, but Sterling Archer and Bob Belcher cannot be more different characters. Um, love both of these shows deeply. Um, the highs of Archer are probably better. But Bob's Burgers has been so remarkably consistent. And it's been on for over a decade now. But it has, there have been no noticeable dips in the series. It's, um, you know, a show that stays pretty consistent, um, doesn't have much in the way of, you know, continuity. Every episode pretty much stands on its own. You can watch them in any order. It's, uh, but it's just, it can be very funny too, but it's also very sweet and the characters are very relatable in Bob's Burgers. I feel like each of the kids on there is relatable to anyone in your childhood. Um, Louise is a sociopath, which a lot of young kids are. Uh, Tina represents the awkward and horny phase <laughs> of your teen years. Um, and Gene has the the wonder and the imagination and the love of scatological humor. Um, so all those things I find highly relatable. So going to go with uh, Bob's Burgers 2, Archer 3. Um, but Archer, man, it, I love the obscure references. I love the, the wordplay and the banter among the characters. Uh, oh, man, the, the prime years of Archer were great, but there were times there where it – it got a little, a little stale. Um, number one has to be the Simpsons. Um, it's easy to just focus on the decline of the show. Although the fact that it's been on for 30 plus years is a remarkable achievement. And yeah, I don't watch it regularly anymore, but that first decade or so of it, those prime years, um, Man, it was a truly magnificent show. 
you go back, you could binge through the seasons on Disney Plus, watch, you know, three through ten or whatever, and it is all killer, no filler. And I have a special relationship with that show because I feel like everyone in my generation watched that show and watched the reruns and syndication. And so references to The Simpsons have become kind of a second language for us. Um, So you see the quotes and you see memes based on it. And for some reason, those really resonate with me and I find them very amusing. And I feel like it's also a kind of language that only people in this narrow range of, if you were in this small age group in the 90s when these were on, you will appreciate this. And then people way older, way younger will totally not understand and not fully appreciate it the way that we did. And back when that, what they were doing was very groundbreaking. You know, these writers and producers, they had this certain comic sensibility that it had been influenced by all of these shows that came before it. And then I feel like in my generation, our comedy that we have produced owes so much of a debt to The Simpsons. It is so heavily influenced by The Simpsons. So that's why on that list, Simpsons, the, the, all those other shows would not exist without The Simpsons. So The Simpsons have to be number one. All right, that'll do it for us today. Thanks again for the questions. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following along at CBJ Cannon. We'll talk to you next week. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Cannon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPurley.com for more music and show dates.